Well, folks, if you're running a business, you're going to work hard to build a brand. You want a reputation. You want something to be known for and something that your customers and your market can appreciate. Often, we trip and stumble and fall over the ability to make that happen. Why? Because our own team doesn't understand what we really want and where we're trying to go. So today, we're going to explore what it means to create internal communication that makes your brand have that true value. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. We're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and it's a pleasure to be on with you again. And as the lead-in said, a lot of time and effort gets spent working up a brand statement, mission, vision, purpose, all of those great and wonderful things that people think of when they decide to define a brand. And big dollars can get spent on that exercise but if your team doesn't know how to deliver or if they don't know what you expect, you're not going to get there. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we're going to spend the whole episode today kind of leaning into the opportunity for you as a leader to do more to help your team arrive at your brand delivery. My guest is Ben Baker. Ben uh, has been around the block a few times uh, working in this space, and uh, Ben, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me on the show. I, th I think we're going to have a really good conversation today. I do, too, as do I. And we were talking in the green room. We share some connections with one of my uh, not-so-long-ago guests, Claire Chandler. You can hop over online and check out episode 61, my talk with Claire. Claire and Ben actually co-authored a book, and I'll let you describe what that might have been about, Ben. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Claire, Claire and I ended up uh, working together in 2020. We created a podcast episode, and the whole thing was is during COVID, getting people to think about what's next. And we were really frustrated because people were sitting there grabbing their knees, rocking back and forth, and people weren't looking at it and say, okay, what's the next step? Yeah, do I have an opportunity here? Absolutely. And they weren't communicating well internally. They weren't communicating with their customers, with their vendors. And you know, basically, it was leaving this huge vacuum. So Claire and I created a podcast, and it was 12 or 16 episodes. I can't remember exactly what it is. But halfway through of it, we looked at each other and said, this is a book. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we transcribed the podcast. We edited it down. We, you know cleaned it up a little bit, added a few sections, and it became leading beyond the crisis, a conversation about what's next. And it wasn't particularly about COVID. It was about, okay, crises has happened. You know, fires happen, floods happen, you know, data breaches happen. There's all sorts of different things that can happen within a business. The question is, what do you do next? And how do you move beyond it? How do you get to a point where you can sit there and go, all right, now that we've dealt with the fire, how do we deal with the embers and the ashes afterwards? Yeah. And I think that that's what the premise of the book was. And it's, you know, it's done fairly well for itself. And I think it was, it was a great exercise and enable us to think and have that conversation about how do we enable people to move beyond? I love it. 
<clears throat> that's a sounds like another whole episode here that we may pursue. But uh, before we dive into the rest of the story here today, Ben, tell us a little bit about your background, your journey to get to where you are, and how you got focused on the things you're doing today. Yeah, I'm a recovering high tech guy. I spent about the first 10 years of my career selling and supporting high tech. And the last thing that I did is I was working for a retail company that was ended up being bought out by Best Buy. And I was on the road, oh God, 200 days a year. They, they were my client. I worked for a company called Ingram Micro. And I was literally on a plane 200 days a year. My wife and I looked at this and said, this is a divorce waiting to happen. So I went up to my boss and said, look, two things are going to happen. One, either you're going to double my salary to pay for the divorce, or you're going to cut my travel days in half. And they said, well, we're not willing to do either. How about we buy you out? And they did. And the one thing they did what really well for me is they paid for the, what do you want to be when you grow up training? And that was 25 years ago. And it really got me to think about, okay, what do I do well? What am I passionate about? What do I love doing? And, you know, where do I really add value in the market? And the truth was, it was a marketing and storytelling. And I got involved in direct mail. I worked a lot for the casino industries. I worked a lot for the grocery industries. That morphed into promotional marketing, trade show marketing. But there's always been the brand that's been along with it. Because organizations for years, and they still do, act reactionary. You know, they're always worried about what is my competitor doing? Instead of sitting there leading the marketplace, they were sitting there reacting to what everybody else is doing. About a decade ago, I came to the realization that companies do a fairly reasonable job marketing outside the company. They do a horrific job marketing inside the company. And being able to get people to understand what is our brand about? What do we do? Who do we do it for? Why do we do it? How do we add value? Why do these people care? Where are we going? And how do the people within the company matter? And how do we get them to understand that what they do is helping to drive the company forward? So that's really where we focused for the last decade. And it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's a big one. And there were situations as the pandemic unfolded where Corporate leaders were were getting hit, and I'm speaking right now primarily of the uh, you know Fortune 500 type companies. They were getting hit with a question of really defining you know can their brand stand in the face of all the upheaval. And I I I, I don't want to pick at a wound or create any contrast or anything or, or uh, conflict, but if you'll recall. Even with the notion of this mysterious virus engulfing the world, we had a bunch of other things going on at the, in, in the face of that. We had the whole uh, George Floyd tragedy, the Black Lives Matter movement. We had a lot of things going on with social injustice of other kinds. We had some um, uh, gender issues. The Me Too that, movement, and, absolutely. And we had a perfect storm of social unrest going on. And, and I, I don't say that lightly. Um, frankly, I was glad that I wasn't sitting in a C-suite somewhere during all of that. And um, classic example that came out of my portfolio is, uh, as probably everybody knows, the headquarters for Coca-Cola is in Atlanta. 
only a few blocks away from the state capitol and um there was a demonstration going on for the for the george floyd um, situation and a bunch of employees from Coke said, we want to be part of that. We want, we want to stand for our, in our community for this social injustice. And everybody kind of said, okay, you know, and so they put on their blazing red Coca-Cola branded shirts and were out in mass down going down the street. Well, next thing you know, some ne'er-do-wells broke out and were throwing bricks through storefronts and things. And here's pictures of, the crowd in front of the store and it's Coca-Cola and all these windows broken out and everything. And it's like, that doesn't bode well for your brand. No, it's, and that's one of a thousand different, you know, things that happened over the years. And it could be just as something as simple as, you know, two employees are wearing branded gear and they get really drunk and disorderly at a baseball game and start harassing. I remember a story of, two guys got really drunk and they were harassing a news reporter at a baseball game and making really derogatory remarks. And guess what? They got fired. Yeah. You know, they ended up getting fired because what you're doing is when you're wearing branded gear, you're representing the brand and a lot of it, whether it's fair, whether it's not fair, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, you are representing the brand. And what your actions do, if they don't reflect well on the company that you work for, there can be an issue with this. Yeah. And a lot of that comes down to people understanding what is the culture inside the company? What, what are we willing to accept? What aren't we willing to accept? What are the expectations? What's the accountability? And a lot of that comes down to communication. It comes a lot down to listening, understanding each other and valuing each other. And that's something that really gets tricky as organizations grow. Well, in essence, it, it sounds like, uh, I mean, what, at least what comes to my mind is the notion of leaders inside companies simply having the ongoing conversations with their work teams about the brand. What are we trying to represent? What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to do? Yes, but it can't be conversations where you're speaking at people. You need to be speaking to people yeah. and well, conversations need to go both ways. Yeah. And that's where the real breakdown is, is that conversations, especially in larger companies tend to be dictums, whether they mean to be, or they're not, they're one way conversations, because if you have 10,000 people that you need to communicate with, it's very difficult to have effective two-way conversations and get people to understand why you're doing what you're doing. But if you really want to bake that into the culture, you need to be able to bake those conversations on a local level. So everybody understands what does that mean to them? I agree with you totally. And, and when I said the thing about conversation, I do mean conversations with your team, not at your team. Mm -hmm. You know, having, having that opportunity to sit either one-on-one -on -one or in a huddle and say, all right, yes, we heard at a town hall, the chairman announced this move or this direction. What does that mean to you? Do you understand it? Do you have questions? How can I help? What can I do to clarify for you what this means? Yeah. I mean, one thing that we do is we do internal private and secure podcasts. So they're stream only podcasts that can only be heard and shared with people within the company. Mm. 
And what they are is their conversations throughout the organization at all various different levels and all different departments. Therefore, people get far better insights about what's going on in areas of the company that they never see or they never interact with. But that's only the start of it. Now you need to take those conversations and get them engaged in either the Slack conversations or the Teams conversations or in an intranet internally, and also be able to bring those podcasts in, in conversations up in team meetings and team huddles. So to be able to take that, you know, high level conversation that's happening one to many and turn that into engagements that's one to one or what one to few. And the, tr the trick is to be able to find ways for large organizations and mid-sized organizations, small organizations, to be able to have those conversations so everybody feels that they've been listened to, understood, and valued, and that they understand what's important, what's not, and why. And what immediately comes to my mind is, is the favorite word everybody has in, in big corporations, uh, you know, getting out of your silo, you know, big business is, is typically described by many as, as having all these multiple silos. Nobody knows what's going on outside your one silo. And the little bit you might hear, you probably don't appreciate because it sounds like it has a, a potential for impacting your silo, either more work or wrong work or bad work. And, and there's this tension that builds. So, uh, you know, getting out of your silo, having that awareness, having that appreciation and understanding is, is huge. Yeah. I talk about building doors and windows into silos. Oh, I like you're, it. You're, ne you're never going to break down the silos. Unfortunately, these large organizations that are bureaucratic in nature from one way, shape or form. And some, in some cases they have to be based on the size of the organization. But if we build doors and windows into those silos, it becomes a little better. I run team exercises where I sit there and say, okay, what do you do? How do you do it? Why do you do it? All right. When you pass it off, who do you pass it off to? What do they need from you in order to be successful? Right. And that's when I get the deer in headlights look. Right. Know, the deer in headlights looks, I sit there and says, when you pass the baton from your department to somebody else's department, what do they do with it? And what's going to make it successful for them? And when teams can understand that, that's building the door or the window into the, into the other silo because all of a sudden you're getting insights of how you can present or give the information better to somebody else so it's more useful for them to be able to use. God knows there's so many times where you present information and they need to cut and paste it manually into some other system because your system doesn't talk well with their system yeah. or there's not an API that, that translates it. Right. Right. And that is a tragedy when that's happening, but it, it, you're right. It happens so often. And, and, and what about the situations in those big companies where you run in, you ask that question and it's not past the baton, it's past the buck. <laughs> there is, there is that too. I mean, there is a lot of, and you know, I don't know if you're doing video or if you're just doing audio only, but there's a lot of people that are pointing in, in two directions. Yeah. And a lot of things is, I call it the permafrost layer, and I call it the mid-level manager permafrost layer, where very little gets above it and very little gets below it. Because these are people, unfortunately, and a lot of it comes down to the Peter principle, 
where people are hired to a point where they're protecting their jobs. Mm-hmm. They're protecting their fiefdom. They're protecting their jobs. They're protecting their budgets. They're protecting whatever they're protecting. And therefore, you know, if it if it's going to affect me or my team or my budget, you know, in any way, shape or form, it's bad. And they stop looking at what's good for the organization. They stop looking at what's good for the customer and they start looking at what's good you know, for them and, and their particular budget. And that's where we run into a lot of problems because good ideas either never make it be up be up, above that or good ideas come, never get below that. And therefore you get these disconnects of communication. I heard a stat that in companies of a hundred employees, ineffective internal communication could cost a small company of a hundred employees a year. If you're a 100,000 employee company, it could be as much as 62 million. Well, I believe it. The, you know, there's so many people, I I know a company right now, and I'm not going to name names for confidentiality reasons, but they're a large global brand. They operate in a matrix environment, which I'm not going to argue the minimits or, or, you know. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. And the common complaint is information is the currency that everybody deals with internally. And if I've got a piece of information and you tell me you need it, I get to barter on, you know, what you've got that I need that, that you know can can help my domain my fiefdom and if i don't like the answer or the um uh, the ransom is not sufficient i keep my information you're never going to see it but what breaks that down is changing how compensation works because when people are being compensated on their own gl when people are only being compensated on the the profit loss statement of their own department and how that department uh, uh, acts on its own, people are not willing to tip the cart. But if companies are being sit there and say, look, it has nothing to do with your budget. It has nothing to do with your budget. It doesn't do your budget. Let's amalgamate these three budgets because we can do this and take care of the customer and be able to be able to compensate people based on overall goals and o- overall value then then that currency as a barter chip goes away well, i'll tell you what ben i think we're up on the clock here i want to drop a little commercial message in here for folks when we come back we're going to lean into your ideas and a framework on how leaders can really do more with uh, overcoming some of these things we kind of spent the first half talking about the problems. Now let's talk about some solutions. So we're, gonna, we're gonna do that when we get back. Hang in. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and I'm talking with Ben Baker. We're talking about this idea of companies spending a lot of time and energy building a brand for external consumption 
but then they don't spend enough time worrying about the internal communication and internal structure that helps deliver on that brand promise. So I think uh, when we took the break and we're in the green room, Ben and I were talking a little bit about, well, let's, let's, let's go to the basics. Let's, let's uh, what I like to always call 101. Um, let's talk about the difference between management and leadership, you know, in your book, Ben, or in your mind, what, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, is? my, my favorite <clears throat> story comes from Simon Sinek with the start with why, and what he does is he uses this analogy. A per, certain person's late for work five days in a row. The manager goes up to the person and says, look, you've been late for five days in a row. If you're late another day, I'm going to have to write you up. The next day, you know, that person sees a leader and that leader goes up to him and says, look, you've been late for five days in a row. What's wrong? And I think it's really a fundamental change. It's, are you managing process or are you leading people? Yeah. And we need to get people that understand how to lead people. There is too many people in leadership positions who have been given a title with no training whatsoever. And that's a really dangerous thing. And, and I'm not just talking about your first level manager. I'm talking about people that have been promoted to their level of ineffectiveness. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that you are really good at doing something. Doesn't matter if it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's operations, legal, doesn't really matter. You're a great tactician of what you do. You've been around the company long enough. Somebody made you a manager or a vice president or a senior vice president or whatever they've made you. But you're not given the training to sit there and say, your job is no longer to do X. Right. Your job is to lead people who are doing X. And I think that's the fundamental challenge within leadership is that people are not taught that next level set of skills of empathy, of listening, of being good coaches, being good mentors, and how to sit there and say, how do I make my team's life better? And how do I clear away the minutia in front of them to enable them to do what they need to do best? I agree totally. And I've uh, long been an advocate. There's a lot of content in my blog and some of these prior episodes, even where I've talked about this with, with my guests, I, I agree with you 100%. We have a weird, almost sick tradition in business of needing a frontline supervisor or manager. And what do we do? We go promote the best producer. We take the best salesman, make them the sales manager. We take the best customer service person, make them the customer service lead, et cetera, et cetera. And oftentimes, and I don't have hard data, but I know anecdotally in, in hundreds of cases, what we've really done is ruined our best producer, number one. Yes, <laughs> and, absolutely. And number two, we have not necessarily enhanced the organization at all. And if they survive that first assignment by whatever measure of you want to call success, what do we do? We promote them. We give them another job. We give them two or three of them to work on and, and be manager of. And, and now we've got everybody suffering that. And it's only at about the 15 year mark that somebody wakes up usually at God love them. It's an HR person that says, let's give them some coaching. Mm -hmm. Let's help them with this. And it's like, duh, why didn't we do it 15 years ago? 
And think of the 15 years of chaos in the wake behind that person while they're trying to figure it out. I'm a big believer of take the person that's empathetic, that's the listener, the person who's working on behalf of the team, the person who's there for the other people within the organization. Those are your next leaders. It's not the person, take a salesman, for example, or a saleswoman, for example, you take a look at the, the ones that are the that are top producers love being in front of the customer. They love the kill. They love the relationship. They love doing what they do. And hopefully they're being paid a ridiculous amount of money to do it because God love it. They, they deserve it. But you take these people that were out in the field doing what they do best. And all of a sudden you put them behind a desk and you give them a bunch of paperwork to do. And they're miserable. They're right. absolutely miserable. And they right. take that resentment and they pass it on to people you below them. People, yeah. Exactly. And it doesn't matter if it's sales, whether it's marketing, whether it's ops, whether it's leaders. Great people that are tacticians, you either need to sit there and say, look, if you want to be a sales manager, you want to be a sales leader, first of all, do you understand what that means? And second of all, great, let's get you the training that's going to morph you from being just that great tactician into being a great leader. Yeah. And the money that's spent, you know, think about it. Every employee that you lose costs you a hundred thousand dollars to replace. You don't have to lose a lot of people because they're, they're miffed at that person who became the sales manager and became totally, absolutely impossible to deal with for those people to leave. And you could have paid for a lot of training in the meantime. I had a chance a number of years ago to go into a large global corporation who was in the engineering and construction space, and they wanted me to lead a class for first-time managers. And this was in that iteration, that tradition of promoting good producers and making them team leaders. It was those guys. And so we were doing it in an offside, and I walked into this country club ballroom. There's about 60 people sitting around in the tables we had a about a six inch binder of content we were supposed to go over and we started plowing in and and getting through it and the morning went okay i had good interaction there were some good questions we had a lunch break that was really nice and then we started the afternoon and when we got to the afternoon break this line started forming at the podium and um i kind of went because I said, we're going to take a break. If you have any individual questions, come on up here and I'll, you know, I'll talk to you during the break. So line started for me. First guy says, I don't want to do this. <laughs> All this stuff we've talked about. I want to be an engineer. I don't want to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I went, well, okay, we're going to have to, we're going to table that one. Let me, let me take the next person, very next person. Well, I don't have any good news for you, Doug. I'm saying what he said. I don't want to do this. And it turned out the whole line were people that had finally gotten the gumption to say, if this is what management is about, I don't want to do it. I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a technician. I'm an engineer. I, I want to do my engineer work. I don't want to be a team leader. And so. And a great set of leadership has those conversations with people before they promote them. Exactly. You know, because I'll never forget, there was a woman that I knew that was a phenomenal EA. She was an executive assistant like you wouldn't believe. 
you know, she was the power behind the power. She was, you know, and she was phenomenal at what she did. And people wanted to keep promoting her. And she said, no, I'm happy where I am. And she spent 30 years in that position. And she said, I get up every day. I have purpose. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know who I'm taking care of. My job is to do this. And she knew exactly what she wanted to do and why she wanted to do it. And she had the purpose. And that's great. And not everybody wants to be promoted. Not everybody should be promoted. And I think it's up to leadership to have those uncomfortable conversations to say, look, if you want to be promoted, let me show you what exactly what it means to be promoted. And then let's have the conversation of whether you want to do it. I remember at 16 years old, I wanted a motorcycle. I desperately wanted a motorcycle yeah. at age 16. In order for me to get a motorcycle at age 16, I had to spend an entire day with my uncle, who was a plastic surgeon in the ICU ward, and have him explain to me how every single motorcycle accident worked. You know, that was the deal. I needed to go in there with my eyes wide open and know exactly wow. if you're going to, if you're going to sit there and ride one of these two wheelers that could kill you, you know, you need to have a healthy respect and a healthy fear for this thing before you get your license. And I think that when we have those open and honest conversations about what things are, what they're not, what people's perceptions are versus what reality is, then you're going to sit there and say, okay, well, what do you really want? What is really important to you? Well, I really want to do this. Well, okay, that's not leadership. That's this. And let's explore those opportunities. Yeah. And I think that we need to be in a position as leaders to sit there and say, okay, it might mean that this person who's a great producer doesn't work for me anymore, but that's okay because they're happier doing this. And let's go help, let's go help them succeed. Yeah. That amounts to a popular word that's been going around the studio here lately in the last couple of episodes. The key word is alignment. Absolutely. Cre creating alignment, not just for mission, vision, and, and the statement of brand value, but getting an alignment of getting the right people in the right slots, doing what is best for you know, the company for sure, but more importantly, to your point, for, for their sense of fulfillment and contribution to the business, because why wouldn't you want an employee that is ready to go 110% every day versus somebody that's strapped into a, some kind of torture ride and you say, well, that's the only opportunity I've got for you. Well, and you also, if that is the only you know, seat that you have for the person, you need to sit there and say, look, we don't have anywhere to put you. We don't have an opportunity. Small companies, for example, there's 15 people that work for the company. We don't have a way to promote you, to give you different experience. There's just not that opportunity in the company. Tell you what, why don't we keep you here for six months? We'll pay you for the next six months for you to go out and find your ideal job somewhere else. And then we're going to give you a glowing reference when you leave and a party. But you're only going to have six months to do this. So let's give you the opportunity to be successful somewhere else. Because when you do that, all of a sudden you've built a champion 
outside your organization. Yeah. And that person's telling everybody inside the organization, oh my God, look at what they just did for me. So everybody sits goes, wait a second, this company cares about people. We need to sit there and go, we're not going to keep people forever. We're not going to have employees more than likely that are going to be with us 25, 35, 50 years. It just doesn't happen anymore unless you're a multi-billion dollar, 150,000 person company where you can move people around the world and provide them with all sorts of different opportunities. So let's take a look and sit there and say, how can we get the best and how can we allow people to succeed in a way that they want to succeed? And then when we can't help them anymore, give them the opportunity to be successful elsewhere. Right, right. Yeah, if you know, if you've got end up accumulating and accruing that kind of appreciation for who and what you are as a company, boy, that speaks volumes to your brand. You know, it, it, over time, you do enough of that, the word's going to get out that you're not only a, a a good brand, but you're great for your people, and people like supporting that kind of opportunities so let me uh before we have to get offline let me let me just ask a couple more questions what what other areas do you see this brand story breaking down internally you know i find the brand story breaks down when people at senior leadership don't live it i mean i've been part of so many different groups over the years and thank god not a lot lately but over the years where you take people on these fancy retreats to some you know, cabin in the woods somewhere or some ski resort or golf resort, and you build these wonderful mission, vision, value statements, and all they end up being is 200 points printed on a wall somewhere and never lived. Yeah. yeah. And you say, our employees are, are important to us. And then there's no proof of that. Our customers are important to us. And then we put them on hold for 30 minutes at a time. And we don't, you know, we ignore the emails and we certainly don't pay attention to social media. If we're not living our values, they're not our values. It's really that simple. If the CEO is not getting up every single time they do anything and they're as they're walking around, they're not extolling the values and they're not living the values. Those are not the values of the company. And companies need to be honest with themselves. You know, they may be a hard driving, you know, roll up the sleeves, down and dirty type company. And this is what we do. And, you know, either giddy up or get out of the way. Hey, a lot of people like that. Those are the people they're going to attract. But if you're trying to be a company that is inclusive and all about the employee and about vision and values and, and being able to build a culture, you better live it from the top of the organization to the bottom. What do you say to a a leader? And I, and I will use that word, somebody that is proven to be in a leadership seat, but is on the brink of just being truly frustrated with trying to be the guy that's getting that team to embrace it, understand it, learn it. And the, the leader is the person feeling like I'm banging my head against the wall. They've got the wrong people at the wrong places. And, and probably take a look at your C-suite to begin with. You know, if your people are not on board, it's time to get different people. If your C-suite are, are blocking you, if they're not 
you know, embracing it. If they're not living the, the, the values of the organization, it's time to start cleaning house. You know, it, whether it's either providing them with coaching or mentorship. And if they still don't, you know, they're still not going to be on board. It's time to, you know, to find out where the cancer is and get rid of it because you need people at the top end believing in the program and being being excited about it. And if they're not willing to, you know, to dance the dance and sing the song, nobody else in the organization will. I, I'm thinking of an, a, a big um, organization that I have some knowledge about, and they went through a big culture change and they were trying to invoke a whole new definition and it was good work. I mean, it, you know, again, it looked great on paper and in the binders and painted on the wall. And they were working earnestly to be sure the leadership teams knew how to help make that happen. And there was a moment when a fairly senior female executive. So I want to, I want to caution that word because, you know, female executives of certain grade levels are still pretty rare and people everywhere are striving to change that, make it Absolutely. better. But this person who, as we were talking during the break, you, we were talking about command and control leadership style. She was, she was the poster girl for command and control. She was, she was uh, a brute force. She was, rude, crude, and sometimes socially unacceptable, even though she herself, you know, was female. But she had no, no reserve about just chewing somebody up and absolutely crucifying them in the middle of a team meeting if, if the wrong answer was given. And the mindset in the message of the new brand and the new culture was, we don't do that to people. We're not mm -hmm. going to do that. And everybody watched this happen, and there was kind of this pregnant pause of, is she going to get away with it? Well, very long story short, it only, this revelation only circulated for about a month. And next thing you know, there was an announcement that she was taking an early retirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's unfortunately needs to happen in a lot of organizations is that I'm a big believer of work with the people first. Find out why they think the way they think. Find out why they do what they do. What are their underlying wants, needs, fears, desires, challenges, whatever? And be able to work with them and try to, you know, try to rectify the situation. And a lot of it comes down to mentoring and coaching. But right. if you're dealing with somebody who is beyond seeing a different way of doing things, and they're not going to get in the boat and row. And this is where everybody has agreed that the boat is going towards. Guess what? They're rowing backwards when you're rowing forwards. Right. And that's how boats go in circles instead of moving forward in a, in a, in a really clean and, and proficient way. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and, you know, obviously the story I said is, is tra tragic on many levels, but it, it, one of the contributory factors was her unwillingness to change with the, with the tide. And she had gone to all the meetings. She had been on all the briefings, had herself a coach to kind of help her through that. And, but fundamentally refused to, to go there. Yeah. Just said, no, that's never worked for me. All that 
she called it woo woo, you know, that stuff you're mm-hmm. trying to coach me through sounds too woo woo. I don't see how that's ever going to get anything done. And I'm just, I'm, you know, not gonna. And the irony is she was raised in that system. So it was an evolutionary outcome. She had seen it, that behavior succeed in years past, but the company now was saying, stop, that is not going to be okay going forward. And people are not comfortable change. Yeah. People fear change because when things change, your personal dynamic changes and your personal value changes. And a lot of people don't want to see their own personal apple cart tipped. Yeah. yeah. And that's scary for people. And I don't care if it's somebody in the C-suite or somebody who is, you know, 10 days into the company. We all fear change and it's about mitigating change. It's about communicating through change and understanding what does the change enable us to do? Right. Um, and there's, you know, if people go to yourbrandmarketing.com and they go to my uh, thoughts on communication page, there's an ebook there talking about telling the story of change and it's free. There's no, there's no paywall. There's, you don't have to leave me your email. There's nothing. Just go to yourbrandmarketing.com, look for the thoughts on, on communication page, and you'll, and you'll see that with about 12 or 13 other uh, ebooks. But the trick is to sit there and say, how do we, at a very early stage, make sure we leave no person behind? And that's, that's the role when I'm doing consulting, when I'm leading these change management type programs, it's all about thinking, like, who are the naysayers? Who are the people that are going to dig in their heels and, and cross their arms very early on in the process and understanding what their challenges are early and try to bring them on board from a very early part. And you're not going to get everybody. Right. But the right. more you can do that, the more you're going to bring them into a position, hopefully where they become champions for the change instead of people that are trying to block the change. I like it. Well, Ben, I think that's a good uh, exclamation point to put a bow on this. And uh, you mentioned your website there, which is up on the screen, yourbrandmarketing.com. We'll have that in the show notes, folks, for those of you listening on audio streaming right now. But um, Ben, thank you so much for joining in with us and sharing all this good stuff. Hey, Doug, thanks for having me and hope things are down, doing well down in the Houston area and looking forward to come down and seeing you. I hope you do. I hope you do. We'd love to get together and uh, been thinking about having some kind of conference for all my guests. Uh, I've just got a great group of people and a bunch of people know each other. So it would be a nice uh, reunion of sorts to get everybody. But uh, it's just one of those ideas that are it's over on the whiteboard, the drawing board. You know, we'll, we'll see what comes of it. But uh, who knows? We might have a big giant workshop and put that out to the public. But uh, for now, we're going to um, close this out. And I want to thank everyone for listening in. I do want to remind you uh, where I was starting to go is if you're on audio, we do have a video version of this over on YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. So I hope to see you soon there. Please drop in, subscribe, leave us a comment, uh, give us a recommendation. If if you've got a, a friend or colleague that would be a good guest or shoot, if you yourself would like to pop in, uh, be happy to talk with you and see what that looks like. 
And for now, we're going to say goodbye, sign off and take care. And one last thing before I go, you guys have all been listening to Doug and you've been listening to him for a bunch of different episodes. Now, if you know him, if you like him, if you trust him, do business with him, find out a little bit more about him as a company and reach out to him and see how he can help you in your business. Well, thank you, Ben. Uh, checks in the mail. No, <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I you know, I, 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 uh, I am told by others I don't do enough of that on the show, and it's uh, it's part of my service-minded philosophy. I, I, I believe in trying to serve the greater good, so we try to put these nuggets together and get them out there. And I know in due time, all good things will happen. So um, I'm I'm happy about that. But I appreciate the plug. I, I really hey, my my job is to plug you shamelessly. So okay, why not? Well, good, good. All right. Well, again, thanks everyone. We're gonna sign off and say goodbye. Hope to see you again real soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides visit DougThorpe.com.